Good morning, everyone. Jim Jaquetta here with Vidovation Corporation. I'm the CTO and co-founder. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, Ron Fellman, PhD founder and CEO of Qvidium Technologies. Thank you, Ron. Welcome. Well, th thank you, Jim. Uh, yes, as you mentioned, um, I'm Ron Fellman. I'm the founder and CEO of Qvidium. Before that, I was the founder and CEO of Pathland Network Technologies. Um, today I'm going to talk about ARQ for video transport, how it works, a little of the history of how we came to uh, invent it, and um, our latest uh, product, our, our HD, HEVC 4K codec. Okay, uh, Jim? Yeah, so, so I, I don't know. I want to get a little uh, uh, gauge from from some of our viewers. Uh, are you folks uh, uh, transporting uh, video over the public internet for a live broadcast application? We're, we're talking more than you know, go to webinar, Skype, or Zoom. You know, something for broadcast purposes, production purposes. You know, over the top OTT, something like that. Um, um, are, are you folks uh, um, uh, uh, streaming video over the public internet right now? Just want to get get a feel for uh, where you guys are. Um, Ron Ron's company has is is one of the the uh, uh, pioneers in this area and was recently. Uh, acknowledged, uh, what was it last year, Ron, by the uh, Academy um, um, uh, Te Technical Arts and Sciences Academy. So he has an Academy Award for technology. So here, let me see here now. Let me uh, um, manage the poll. Oh, no, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to close it and then share. Here we go. So here, here are the results. So you can see... Um, 60% of people uh, are streaming. 40% um, uh, don't have plans to stream. Well, Ron, we, we got to win them over, you know. Um, <laughs> or I hope we're not wasting their time today uh, if they have no plans to stream live. Or, or maybe it's my marketing people. They 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 um, they, they only do Zoom and, and go to meeting. They don't do uh, live broadcast. But um, th thanks everyone for for voting. So. Uh, let me let me advance the slides here for you, Ron, and and let's get to it. All right. So as uh, you may know, if you're familiar with the internet, uh, when the internet was designed um, back in the '60s, it was never designed uh, for live video. In fact, the technology didn't even exist back then. Um, it was designed for best effort uh, transport. There's no prioritization. In fact, uh, even multicast is not allowed to go through the internet. The routers will drop uh, multicast packets. It'll drop any prioritization. Um, so if you have congestion at nodes, if multiple streams are trying to go through a particular node, the uh, routers are designed to drop the packets. They'll sometimes have um, various algorithms to decide what goes first but the bottom line is if you're trying to get packets over the internet not only can you not rely on the packets getting through but 
some internet service providers do things like dynamic load balancing to alleviate congestion. They'll, in the middle of, of sending a bunch of packets out, they'll switch the routing around, which would cause the packets to come in out of order. So if you're trying to send video, you're going to have to understand that packets can get dropped, they can get out of order, um, there could be random delays, which we call jitter. None of these things are, are good for trying to get uh, any kind of live broadcast video. Of course, if you're streaming video where it's basically short file chunks that are, are being buffered and played out, it's not much of a problem. So the biggest issue is if you're trying to do a live low latency broadcast over the internet. There's so, two so, main... so, so Ron, why, why did you invent this technology? What, what was, uh... Uh, I think you had certain customers that were having a problem trying to stream through the internet, right? Why did this all come about? So, so to get to the why, um, it really started with the telemedicine, actually. The, you know, before starting Path One, I was, um, I had started and was uh, working at Path One Network Technologies, and all of our customers there were large broadcasters. They had their own private network. I left Path One and I was approached um, by a friend. I used to be a professor at UCSD and um, a former colleague there knew some of the, knew the doctors in the stroke center at UCSD. So these two neurologists said they had a big problem. They have this new wonder drug called TPA. And it's a, like a miracle uh, drug that will dissolve clots very quickly. The, and if somebody has a stroke, if they have, a, there's two types of strokes, an aneurysm where the blood vessel bursts, but then there's a thrombolytic stroke where there's a clot. And if they had a thrombolytic stroke, this is like a miracle cure. But if you give it to somebody who had an aneurysm, then it would kill them. So you needed a way to diagnose people. And there aren't a lot of neurologists around the place. They, if you're in the middle of, well, one of our first uh, sites was Brawley, California, and there aren't a lot of neurologists in these remote rural areas. So these neurologists at UCSD wanted to be able to diagnose people far away. Um, and because of this drug that was available in all the emergency rooms, it was mostly used for heart attacks, they knew, now had an opportunity to literally cure people who had strokes that were miles away from the nearest neurologist. And so they came to me saying, we needed good quality video. The, the video couldn't have any lost packets because if you lose a packet, you're gonna get some kind of jitter or pausing in, in the video and that defeats the whole purpose of being able to diagnose the patient. So a neurologist is gonna um, have a patient do something like uh, raise your arm and then slowly lower it. Well, if somebody had a stroke and there'd be weakness, they could see it by the uh, jerkiness or jitteriness in the motion. But the same kind of problems can appear if you have packet loss. So they needed, right. to, they needed to rely on the fact that the video that was coming through, every single packet was getting through there and that you were getting smooth, you know, a smooth, reliable feed. And, and so that was the uh, the genesis or, or the inspiration to create this ARQ for the internet. 
uh, we, we've always had, ARQ is not a new concept, and there's a slide on that later on, maybe we're jumping ahead of ourselves. But, um, you know, if we look, going back to the slide over here, if you look at um, the what the internet was designed for, there's really basically two types of traffic that, that you can send on the internet. There's UDP, which is user datagram protocol, which basically is, there's, it's like the Wild West. You send a packet out and you have no idea if it's going to get to the other side or not, or if it's going to get it that they're out of order. So um, you'd have to do things to UDP to, to make it work for video, which is what we do with uh, our ARQ technology. And then there's TCP. And, uh, you know, TCP is uh, designed for reliable transport. It's a uh, transmission control protocol where you have these windows that have to, uh, packets that get sent across and with every window you have an acknowledgement. So it's great for things like uh, email or web pages to make sure that all the um, email gets through, but there's no real-time guarantees on this. It could pause indefinitely waiting for the packet to get over to the other side. The pauses could be 30 seconds or, or longer. Every single time a window of packets gets to the other side, it has to wait for a positive acknowledgement from the other side before it can send out another window of packets. And this causes a limitation on the maximum bit rate. If you have a lot of hops, you have to go around the world, maybe up through a satellite, and you have to wait each time for an acknowledgement well, the longer the latency is, the more time it takes before you can get this acknowledgement and the slower the maximum bit rate that you can send through with TCP is. So, so you know, TCP is, is okay if you have a relatively good link and you're just doing streaming or you don't care if you're buffering up the video and there's, you know, a lot of delay, but it's really not appropriate for live broadcast. So, so your your approach is to take a UDP stream and and you make it more robust with ARQ, which you'll describe uh, 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 on, on the following slides. Exactly. So we start with UDP, and if you go to the next slide, you'll see sure what it is we do. I can hear you, Ron, but maybe it's a little muffled since you're using the internal mic. Maybe maybe lean into your mic a little bit so we okay, can sure. uh, we can. We can hear all your good stuff here. Let me let me advance. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, you're using the built-in mic, right, on your computer. Yeah, yeah. I do have a headset if you want me to use. No, it. that's much better now with you leaning in. That's perfect. All right. Okay. So so what we decided to do. Um, so you know, as these neurologists, like I said, came to me, they wanted the packets to all be there, not to, to get lost. So the idea was to have a feedback mechanism. And before that, and, um, there were feed forward uh, mechanisms to try to fix packet loss. You'd send extra packets along with the stream. And if some of the packets got lost in the stream, you'd use the extra packets to check some packets to try to fill in the gaps. But that only goes so far. If you have large amounts of random packet loss, FEC really doesn't work well. Um, at, back at, when I was at PATH1, another thing we tried in addition to FEC, by the way, the FEC we did at PATH1, it became standard ST2022, which was a 
also known as ProMPEG forward error correction. But again, that was only good really for private networks. The other thing they tried doing was sending a completely redundant second stream. Again, if you have large amounts of packet loss, this might not even fix things. And the problem with that is you're also doubling the bandwidth. So after leaving path one and getting uh, in touch with these doctors, thought the best thing to do would be to have a feedback mechanism. So that's really what ARQ is all about. If you lose a packet, you detect that on the receiving end, you make sure you have sequence numbers. And there's already a protocol in place for doing that called RTP, which puts a little header on UDP packets. It adds in sequence numbers, it adds in a timestamp. And now we use the, those mechanisms, those um, placeholders that they have in the RTP packets to put to have a sequence number to see if there's a gap in the sequence number. And if there is, you have the receiver send the packet back upstream requesting a retransmission of whatever packets were lost. So well, like you, you, you mentioned forward error correction too. Forward error correction. So say you sent it, you set a forward error correction for like 20% redundancy. But if everything is operating normally and there are no packet losses, you've now taken 20% away from the usable bandwidth for video, where yes, you could yes. have you could push through higher quality video. So so in, in a sense, this only kicks in when it's needed, right? So that, that's an excellent point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and, and that's one of the points we mentioned here at the bottom. There's literally zero overhead. If you have a current right. network, unlike FEC with ARQ, you're only sending those retransmission requests if you have packet loss. And any kind of packet loss, any kind of patterns of packet loss, you could correct for because you're asking for whatever packets are lost. And you can ask for it over and over again. Unlike FEC, where you only get, you know, whatever packets are given to you, you, you can either, um, you could try to use them, but if you don't have enough packets to replace the lost ones, you're out of luck. And as Jim said, you're sending all those extra packets without any guarantees that they're going to fix it. Right, right. Or or I, I would say, in my mind, FEC is kind of like a brute force approach. We'll, we'll send all this redundancy through. 20% redundancy uh, and, and hope the packets that we, we, we don't, ex so if we set it to 20%, we hope we don't exceed 20% of loss, but you could have a frame that loses 30% of its packets. FEC won't be able to reco recover it where ARQ could fill in all those missing pieces. That's right. So ARQ is capable of 100% packet recovery. It, it can, even with very high loss rates, I mean, we've seen loss rates of you know 40, 50 percent. Um, the the real, really, the only downside there is you need extra margin of of overhead to be able to send um, large bursts of to recover packets. But you know, again, if you don't have a lot of loss to begin with, you don't need much overhead. Now, now the downside, the only negative on ARQ is you do create a buffer on the receive side. So the, what you do is at the receiving side, instead of just receiving the packet and, and sending it out to the video decoder, you put a little buffer in the way. So this buffer um, holds the packet long enough so that if you have any gaps in there, you have time for the receiver to 
send the packet upstream to the encoder, to the transmitter. And the encoder doesn't have to be the transmitter. We actually have ARQ software that you can use if you have an encoder that doesn't have ARQ included in it. And so whatever the sender is, the receiver is going to send the packet upstream, the retransmission request packet, for the sender to send back a copy of whatever packets are missing. And then they get put in the buffer, put back into the right order in that buffer so that when they get played out of the buffer, they get played out in the right order and with all the packets hopefully there. If you need more time so that you have more chances of asking for a retransmission, because with ARQ, you don't just ask once, you can ask multiple times in case there's packet loss for the upstream packets as well or there's additional packet loss for the retransmitted packet. So you can ask multiple times. You just need a bigger buffer that gives you more resilience. You need lower latency. Well, you have a smaller buffer and maybe there'd be a little less resilience, but the buffer size isn't actually that large. If you look at what FEC requires, um, FEC, you have to have a buffer of all of the packets in the, um, the window that you're, you're um, doing the FEC over. And you have to be able to receive those packets before you can start processing the checksum packets. So that takes a certain amount of delay. If you are on a wireless network or uh, not too many hops where the round trip time is fairly low, you might actually have a smaller round trip time or smaller delay using ARQ than FEC in addition. It is, I know many systems, uh, some of the systems we, we utilize use a combination of both some FEC and ARQ. Um, I, I think some some vendors even have a dynamic element to the FEC. FEC kind of does the set to a minimum. If 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 the the connection is going poor, it goes up and down. Um, so you're you're a proponent of not using FEC at all, or do you see cases where you might use a combination of ARQ and FEC? What are your thoughts so on that? That's interesting question because when we first started doing this we did actually combine FEC with ARQ the telemedicine system that we created for the neurologist did have the ability to both do FEC and then ARQ on top of it but we found that it really didn't help you know you're adding you're using up or wasting the extra bandwidth for the FEC but the ARQ is so efficient and so effective that having FEC in addition to it was actually just to waste the bandwidth and time because you have the additional latency of processing the FEC buffer. So we dropped that um, in the products and we started making for broadcasters because the key there was to try to get lower latency while you're doing the air recovery. Very good, very good. Uh, are you done with this slide? Want me to continue? Yeah, yeah let's go to the next one. There we go. So, um, one way that you could envision using this is um, if you have multiple encoders, you can send them up to um, a central location, maybe a server in the cloud that's running an ARQ proxy server. So we, like I said, we have our ARQ both within our products and I'm showing the our QV codec 4K, our new 4K box is an example of some encoders sending up into the internet. You can have Amazon Web Services, for example, host uh, some software that runs the ARQ. We've had many installations where we would use ARQ to get a live stream up into a server and then use um, 
you know, maybe to send it to a CDN and at the CDN, they can even send out a stream with RTMP or some other protocol. But if you really wanted low latency, you're gonna want ARQ on both ends. And so you can have the proxy server that's in the middle send out to multiple destinations to keep the latency low. You can use ARQ with uh, encryption. We do that all the time. And uh, this kind of technique I'm showing here really minimizes the amount of bandwidth because most facilities don't have a lot of upstream bandwidth, but there's plenty of bandwidth in the cloud. So if you want to distribute a stream to hundreds of locations and you don't have a lot of bandwidth where you are, you just need to send one copy of the stream up to the server where the ARQ can replicate the stream and send it to as many places as you want where there's plenty of bandwidth to do that. Well, um, um, what was I going to say? So, so one of the things, Ron, is uh, I, I guess one of your big differentiators or your strengths or or a strength of this technique is low latency. Exactly. Um, I, I know with um, some of our bonded cellular partners, uh, um, public internet now is pretty reliable. You know, it, it's it's uh, statistically the 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 losses are 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 now minimal. Um, you you can you can get um, uh, higher quality internet connections. Uh, I think with cellular, it's a different animal. You we have the jitter is crazy. The the latency is yo-yoing up and down. The the bandwidth is going up and down. So I think it's a much more challenging environment. Um, and and I think in that in that sense, maybe a little bit of FEC and ARQ is warranted. But your sweet spot is is low latency over the public internet, isn't that correct? That, that's right, and you'll see that in the next slide. It's really a cornerstone of the patent that we have. So this is um, this diagram came right out of the patent we had for ARQ, and you'll notice a key component of it is an area that we call clock sync, clock synchronization. What we do is we timestamp the packets when they go out. And we have a clock on the receiver that's synchronized to the timestamp of the packet when it goes out. Now, you could use any type of clock. It could be NTP timestamps. Um, but the patent, our patent covers all of that. So this is unique to QVidium. Any other kind of FEC or, I'm sorry, any other kind of ARQ technology um, would be infringing on our patent if they were to use uh, this kind of clock synchronization to try to minimize the latency. And why that's so important is because when you have, um, when you create this extra buffer at the receiving end so that you can, you know, wait long enough to put all these packets to, to gather back any missing packets and put them in the right order, you want to be able to make that packet buffer just the right size, just as small as it needs to be without um, having to wait extra. So what you can do is if you have everything synchronized and you know what the, the delay is, which you can measure from the sender to the receiver, then you could time when the packets leave the buffer using your clock. And that really allows you to create an ARQ system with absolutely lowest, lowest delay. So going into this diagram, you see how this works as in your encoder, you have um, the, the packets going out of your encoder, going to the um, 
the transmit unit, which is where it's stamping the packet. There's a green, uh, the green dots there is sort of is the animator to show the packets leaving the transmitter, leaving the encoder, going into the receiving unit. And the red is to show the reverse stream, the, the retransmission request stream going back up to the sending side uh, where it's asking for the additional packets. Now, what you do in ARQ on the sending side, well, there really isn't that much other than st stamping the packet with the time clock and processing the request coming back in. You have an ARQ packet store where you're just storing the packets as they're going out. That doesn't add any extra latency. So at the same time the packet is going out, it's going into this ARQ packet store. Yeah, but so then, so on the encoder side, you don't usually think of buffering. You know, you think of buffering on, on the receiver for FEC or ARQ. In order for the packets to be retransmitted, you have to have a bucket to, to store uh, the packets for retransmission. So that's the ARQ package storage. That's right, but that doesn't uh, delay anything because it just stores it at the same time as the packets go out, but it doesn't uh, eat up any time doing that. And you, you based on the on uh, how deep is that storage usually? A couple of frames, a couple of lines. Like how 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 do you gauge how big that is? That that storage. Well, um, usually it. it Part of that really depends on the sequence number. What we do is, um, in you know, an easy implementation, and again, the patent covers you know, all sorts of implementations where you can have much larger sequence numbers, but the typical RTP packet header only has 16 bit, which is 64,000 packets worth of, um, of buffer space of, of sequence number, really. So, mm -hmm. so we, st we could store up to 64,000 packets, which is enough or even relatively high bit rates. Um, the higher the bit rate, the more storage you would need because correct, correct, correct. But um, it's it's really um, not been much of a problem. Well, and then I guess that begs the question: is um, this is all automatic? So I, me, the user, we don't even have to think about this. The mechanism just runs. I don't have to think about the the depth of the buffer or or do i or can you adjust the 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 buffer depth on the decode side so that that's also a really good question let me talk about that a little bit the the way we've implemented arq the calibration is completely automatic and there's very little that the user has to do and yet it optimizes the error recovery the only real parameter that you have to think about is how much extra delay that you want to add to the system. The more delay, the more chance it can retransmit the uh, extra packets, the more tries you have to recover any lost packets. And so if you you have complete control over that, if you, in our, in our systems, you could set delay to, to zero if you want, and then the um, system will measure the round trip time, figure out what the minimum value is, and then put that in there and, and create a buffer that's really um, minimal. It could be just one round trip time. We have a robust mode where it makes sure it's at least two round trip times. And then you don't even have to think about it. You just um, start it up with, uh, let it do its thing with automatic uh, configuration and um, you don't have to set anything. On the other hand, if you did want to 
completely configure it yourself, you have access to all those parameters. You can, you can in fact override the round trip time. You could override the amount of jitter that the system is calculating in the network. Because if there's jitter in the system, you have to add that to the buffer so the buffer can um, buffer out any jitter. You know, if packets are being held at nodes throughout the internet for random amounts of time that will create random delays in the packet, which we call jitter, which you want to buffer out and have a little extra buffer space to do so. So, you know, the internet itself, even if there's no packet loss at all, uh, you're going to want to have a little bit of buffering because otherwise the packets arriving at your decoder will have gaps of time before they come in, which would be the jitter caused by... Yeah, they, they might not be missing, but they might be out of order. So you need a little bit of time to put them in the proper order, correct? Exactly. They could be out of order. They could just be delayed even, uh, even mm. if they're not out of order. And that could cause a, a decoder to run dry, which would also cause freezing. So you have to have at least enough buffering in there to buffer out the jitter, to buffer out any um, reordering that might take place. And again, this is all done basically automatically in our system, but you can put in larger times in our system if you have to know that there's um, some reordering going on and you know the length of time, the latency that, that, that happens over. So um, you have both the ability to have it being done completely automatically and the ability to override the settings and uh, adjust for specific uh, types of scenarios. Very good, very good. All right, let me advance. Oh, the animation started again. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking a little bit before about the origins of ARQ. Um, you see a picture over there. You see uh, the governor at the time was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He came to, to see the two neurologists who are the two guys that like that. <laughs> so um, this was back in uh, 2004. There was an article written, I think it was a Union Tribune or um, some such a magazine or a newspaper about the uh, neurologists. We had systems set up not, not only throughout California, but in other states. Um, a lot of systems in Arizona, Montana, even New York. Um, at one point, this was under PF uh, Technology with which we started immediately after path one and then got subsumed by qvidium so um as i mentioned you know the concept of arq or automatic uh, repeat or retransmission request i think it's technically it's repeat request it's not used it's not new it was used in shortwave radio there's a paper even as back as 1963 about selective repeat arq most of the systems that were called arq were positive acknowledgement. In other words, like TCP, you send some packets out or even one packet and you have to wait for a reply before you could send more packets out. Uh, and, and that has its own problems. But in video, the idea is that if you're missing a packet and you haven't asked for it, it's already been played out, that part of the video stream is played out, you can't go back and, and reinsert it. So there's a real-time live aspect to sending live video. So it became, uh, we thought it was much more efficient and smarter to have a, create a negative acknowledgement system. So we created the ARQ, unlike the other ARQ systems that were around at the time, that was that only asked for packets if they were needed, if it was missing. And it 
also had a timeout mechanism because it is video after all that we're optimizing this for, which had never been done before. So that if the packet was missing, but that part portion of the video stream has already been played out, there's no use asking for it again. So we yeah, time out. It's too late. It's too late. It's so so it wasn't um, unlike TCP, which is trying to require every last packet to always get there. We realized there could be certain limitations with the internet. There could be unrecoverable packets. And by the way, in the telemedicine system, there was a little red square, a little square on the indicator on the screen that the doctors could look at that would be green if all the packets were being recovered and the video they're looking at was perfect, or if there was um, some unrecoverable packet loss. And so they knew at that portion of the video, they knew not to trust it. Hmm. So, um, so you you were saying that that um, when we were talking the other day that that the, this necessity, this telemed telemedicine necessity, it's a matter of life and death. Like you said, if they if they diagnosed the stroke incorrectly, gave the wrong medicine, they could kill the patient. And you know, I I know in in we do a lot with sports, um, um, the tracking of a baseball you know, leaving the bat going over a sea of faces or the basketball, the orange ball going over a sea of faces. If you have, you're dropping packets, you get artifacts, you get you get jitter, you get stuttering, it's dropping a frame. So if you're trying to do this neurology test, um, hey, if we drop, if we drop a packet during Monday night football, no one's going to die. Um, <laughs> Um, so, so I, I, I say that your application is, is more, more critical than broadcast television. So you, you came in from the roots of something uh, uh, way more uh, critical. And, and so instead of like, if the decoder, I guess it's like the expression, no news is good news. If the decoder doesn't say, hey, encoder, I lost packet 101, it assumes it got it. So the only time the ARQ makes a request is if, like you said, the negative acknowledgement. Now I, I didn't, I didn't realize that that was your nuance. That was your, so so that's your patent. That that that's that's how you well, guys the, are doing the, it. It combines that. Um, the, the, really, it's it's combining that with the synchronization. So the patent has both aspects in there. There was a around the time that we did our ARQ, Fujitsu had a positive acknowledgement ARQ for video. Um, and again, nobody had the synchronization either. So th those yeah. those two things combined is what's unique in our patent. And uh, also around that time when we were doing this, Polycom had a video conferencing system. So people were doing some video, but what they did if they had packet loss was they would um, interpolate the, the video to fill in the gaps. So they would mm -hmm. sort of budget. And you couldn't do that in, in a stroke case. You can't you know, if, if you have, you know, this this thing where there's suddenly a packet loss and, you know, suddenly you'd have a, a, a pause or a skip and it would suddenly go down. In the Polycom type of system, they fill in the gaps and they would make it look smooth, even if it wasn't. And that would be disastrous if you're trying to diagnose a stroke patient who might actually had a, a weakness. That and, then you smooth, and you smoothed it out. Or I, I could think of another example, you know, you're looking at an MRI or an X-ray and there's a black spot, there's cancer, there's a problem, there's a tumor. <clears throat> Maybe it's very small and you you smooth that out or extrapolate that 
and, and you miss something, um, some of our other vendors call what you're talking about concealment. So like in television, if there's a, an area of green grass and a packet gets dropped, forward error correction, ARQ can't fix it, the, the decoder is going to make the assumption, well, everything around it is green. I'm going to assume the missing packet is green, but maybe that missing packet's a golf ball or, or something like that. So, exactly. Uh, That's a good analogy. Yeah. 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 So, um, so this was, you know, back in 2003 where we started doing that. Then we started to, um, here we had uh, some contacts in the broadcast industry still from my path one days. And, and they were saying they had systems. Um, first was a broadcaster in France, I think it was RTO, that was saying that they wanted to be able to take ASI and send it over the internet to a, um, another gateway at the other side to get it up to a satellite. And so our very first systems that we made in QVideon were actually ASI to IP gateways. Um, later, we started making encoders. So we, we started uh, making encoders, I'd say, about 2007, and have uh, been making encoders and decoders ever since. So you just took an ASI stream made by another appliance and then and then just wrapped it or, 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 or put it in your own transport with ARQ capability, or you added ARQ capabilities to an ASI stream, basically. Yeah, yeah. So what we did was we took a PC back in those days. We put in an ASI daughter card in the PC, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like a PCI card that had an ASI interface, and then it would uh, send the the bits into the PC. We we wrote software to packetize it, add the ARQ to it. At the other end, there'd be another PC with another ASI card, which would uh, do the processing on it and then uh, feed it back to the ASI card. And so you'd have ASI in on one side, went out with the ARQ over the internet, got received on the other side another gateway. It, these would be basically gateway units that would take the IP and then convert it back to ASI at the receiving end. So you, from there- you, you, you touched on it earlier that um, you do this today. So many customers are, well, I have, uh, an older H.264 infrastructure, my encoders and decoders, my, my encoders and IRDs are working, uh, but we are getting some packet loss. You, we, Vidovation and Qvidium can put an appliance at either end, at either facility, where we route the, the, the legacy streams through them, add ARQ capability on top, uh, send it across the public internet, go into another appliance that decodes the ARQ or adds the missing packets back in. Is that correct, Ron, that, that you, know, you don't have to? Uh, of course, we'd love to sell you the latest and greatest technology, but there are some very economical um, uh, implementations or methodology where we can add state-of-the-art ARQ to older infrastructure. Is that correct? No, yes, that's absolutely correct. Correct, and, and to um, put a finer point on it, we've had customers who've even used Raspberry Pis. I mean, it doesn't have to be a powerful uh, device. It could be a, a very inexpensive, you know, little Raspberry Pi that's the size of a credit card, and mm -hmm. it could be doing mm -hmm. the ARQ processing. 
So it's not it's not very uh, your software is pretty thin. It's 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 a, a, a thin client. Yeah, it doesn't um, it doesn't require much to run on, and um, it is the software will run on pretty much any Linux system, and we also have a version for Windows. Awesome, awesome. Uh, are you done with this slide? Do you want me to advance? Right, and I'll just mention if you want to get a copy of that, um, the software is at www.cubevideom.com slash proxy forward slash P-R-O-X-Y. We could send you a trial license and then you could talk to Jim about uh, getting permanent. That's on. awesome. That's awesome. Oh, folks, I should mention, um, my marketing folks are telling me the the question module for some reason is not working. Um, if you have any questions, why don't you just text them to me? My cell phone number is 516-551-3201. So text any questions to 516-551-3201. I, I advanced, Ron. All right, great. So this is just, again, showing the telemedicine system. We don't have to spend too much time here, but you could see what the thing looked like. It was basically a... IV pole with a camera mounted on the top that the doctors could remotely uh, maneuver. Um, the doctors, you could see uh, the doctor over in the lower left, that particular, um, he's now in that that physician is now in charge of uh, the car, basically Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles now, the uh, heart, uh, the cardiac unit. Um, and the doctor over in the lower right, um, pretending to be a patient, that's uh, Dr. Brett Meyer. So, um, and uh, you could sort of see the camera um, pointing at him, but the, the doctor, this, remember this is 2003, 2004, 2005. This is before you had um, a really good uh, infrastructure with cell phones and cellular modems. So there was an external modem that they were getting from Verizon that they would attach to their laptop that so they can literally ha literally have their laptop anywhere they could be driving on the freeway get a call and and set up their their laptop with this little cellular modem uh, off on the side so they can do this um over you know this uh, regular cellular network connect into the internet and whatever packet losses occurred both over the wireless and the internet the whole combination of packet loss would be corrected by the ARQ along with the reordering the jitter that could be introduced by the, the network. Right. Well, and, and this, 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 uh, this approach is um, now becoming the norm. Uh, a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine are doctors and um, uh, they split their time. They, they do have to go in and see patients face to face for certain types of treatments, but uh, a lot of the follow-up, a lot of the, you know, just taking a, a nurse will be with the patient, but the doctor will be at home, uh, um, um, you know. So, so I think we're all adjusting to to working with Zoom or go to meeting or something like that. But but for those situations where you need high resolution, high fidelity uh, video. Uh, uh, Vidovation and Qvidium can certainly help you with that, and that's the applications for this. So here's some of your patents. So as you mentioned, Ron, last year the um, uh, you guys were were recognized by the uh, uh, the Technical Emmy Committee 
uh, both you and Fujitsu were credited with uh, uh, inventing ARQ, but with slightly different techniques. So as you said, the negative acknowledgement with the timestamp, that was your uh, contribution. And then Fujitsu had their, their approach. So uh, uh, you were quite you were quite a pioneer there in the early days. So maybe tell us a little bit more about some of these patents that you have. So as you can see, um, I listed three of them. Of course, there are other patents um, before that when I was at Path One that were all for private networks. So what's unique here is these patents were really designed for getting video over pub the public internet, and that's what's unique here. The first one is the general ARQ patent. That's the one that combines negative acknowledgements and the clock synchronization to the uh, standard ARQ type of uh, technology. And, and so that's the first patent we talked about. We go into a little more detail uh, in terms of uh, patents specifically for the internet clock synchronization um, that you could use that synchronization or other synchronizations or other types of clock mechanisms, um, you know, for that first patent, and the second patent is a, another is the clock synchronization we found particularly uh, optimal for the internet. And then we also were dabbling in FEC, as I mentioned, and we created a type of adaptive FEC that was designed for specifically for video, so that if you have iframes, you would put in more checksum packets versus if you had B-frames or P-frames, you'd have fewer. And um, it allowed FVC to be used on a variable bitrate kind of a system. But, um, and it, it had a more efficient kind of uh, checksum processing. But again, we found that it wasn't really necessary. The ARQ did such a great job, we, we just dropped the FVC. Um, okay. So the, uh, one thing is we've, created all our systems so that it does not require having a server in the middle. I did show that diagram in the middle uh, before where you can have a server in the middle if you wanted to, but all of our systems are designed really for point to point so that you can just set up an encoder in one place and decoder anywhere else in the world. And you can just have those two units talking to each other without a third um, server or any other device on the internet needing to uh, be in the loop at all. When, no, when might you need a server in the middle? What, what, or, or it would be more of like a CDN where it's like one to many, uh, that, that, and you might need one, a server? That's that's one place. The Another place where a server could be useful, and again, we have this technology with our software that allows you to do it, is if you didn't have any kind of way of, of accessing the, the firewall. So most routers, if you have an encoder or decoder that's sitting behind a firewall. We have technology that can deal with um, automatically um, getting the packets back through the firewall on one side or the other. So you can, we have our system set up so that you could either do what we call push mode, where you just on the encoder side put in an IP, put in the IP address for the destination and you send this packet over to the other side. But in that case, if the decoder is behind a firewall, you would need to open up the firewall, at least have a port forwarding rule so that the uh, stream, the, the video stream could get over to the decoder, but you don't need to do anything 
for the reverse stream, the, the retransmission stream coming back up from the decoder to the encoder, it's automatic. You don't have to put any kind of rules on the encoder side. Or you could do it the other way around. You could have a pull mode, in which case you open up uh, some port forwarding rules on the sending side on, or the encoder side. Uh -huh. But on the decoder side, um, it just initiates the stream and you don't have to worry about setting up any rules. But what if you're in a situation where both the encoder and the decoder are sitting behind firewalls and you don't have any access or ability to open up any ports in either of those firewalls? Well, in that case, you have a server up in the cloud and you can set up the encoder to be in push mode the receiver to be in pull and I mean yeah the receiver to be in pull mode and you don't have to worry about opening up firewalls on either end. Ah okay 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 so 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 Sorry. that to answer your question that's another reason to to have a server in the middle. Okay. Um, okay. The, uh, let's see interoperable um, and as I mentioned, the, the, we designed our ARQ, unlike some other uh, sorts of ARQ systems that now are starting to appear, our system was designed with RTP protocol in mind so that if you had a receiver that doesn't have ARQ technology in it, then it's still gonna receive the stream. It looks like a standard video you know, over RTP stream. It just, you know, if the receiver doesn't have the ARQ, it's just not going to get recover the lost packets, but it's going to look, you're going to be able to play it on anything, including VLC, and there's free software. Um, so you, you have that capability. Um, we have technology built into our box to, to limit the effect of what I could call positive feedback or packet storms. The, the one potential problem with ARQ is if you have a limited amount of bandwidth and you have some packet loss and then you start asking for retransmissions, then you're sending additional packets on this limited bandwidth connection, which could interfere with other packets that you're trying to send on the connection, which could then cause more packet loss, which could cause more retransmissions, which could cause more packet loss and you get this sort of positive feedback effect. We actually have technology in our systems um, to deal with that so that those kind of problems don't happen. Well, um, well we right. Can... If, if the pipe is collapsing, um, you, you could actually make the problem worse or you just, you just you know, at a certain point, you got to let it fail, right? Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. but we, what we do is we limit um, the retransmissions. And so we basically limit the the problem from from even occurring if it starts to happen very cool very cool uh, um, so i think we covered everything on this slide let me advance i i should go just one one other thing on that slide um in the setup you only really need to open up one port there are technologies like wrist that require two ports or more um actually uh two yeah it, it depends how you set it up but um, with our technology, you only have to open up one port if you're sent if you're pushing the stream out from the encoder to the decoder in terms of what you have to open up on the firewall on the receiving end. That um, that um, um, from working in the trenches, and I'm sure you can agree, but from our perspective, uh, getting those ports open sometimes is the biggest challenge. I know at, at some of the major networks, you know, the IT departments are so overworked. They're they're like. Oh yeah, we can. Get, we'll open that port in six months. We're like, 
the the event is Saturday. What, what, I need the port open now. You know? Right, um, and, and that's why we have the other ability to just uh, connect to a server, and then you don't have to worry about it, or, right. or do the uh, other mode of operation. Yeah. Very cool. Very you, cool. Yeah, you can go to the next one. But but even one one port under normal circumstances, that's amazing. I don't know of any other system that can can work with it. only one port. So, um, okay, so now we're we're getting so that was really uh, what I had to say about A or Q. At this point in the talk, we're talking about our our products. Okay. And we'll be we'll be focusing mostly on the the newest product, and we have a whole line of products. We have H two six H.264 HD um, encoder and decoder. Um, there are workhorses. They've been, they're designed for broadcasters. They do the closed captioning. They're designed for 24-7 operation. Um, it, instead of uh, one stereo pair like some of the cheaper uh, encoders or decoders have, this has can do two stereo pairs, can encode or decode up to 1080p60. It's 3G SDI IO on it, and even pass, pass Dolby audio. And we also, in addition to ARQ, that unit can handle RTMP if you want to send to a CDN. As we uh, discuss later on with the QV codec, we've even expanded that. So in addition to RTMP and HLS, which I should have mentioned the, the current box can do, we can also do other ARQs like the SRT and Zixi. We'll get to that later. Um, we have our media server software. So if you have a box that's a legacy unit, you wanted to add ARQ to it, as I mentioned, you can do that very inexpensively um, in terms of the hardware that you would need, just like I said, a Raspberry Pi or even deploy it in the internet cloud. Um, we actually have two new 4K products. We have um, our higher end unit, which is the a 4K HEVC codec, and it's one box that can be set up to do encoding or decoding or both. It has the ability, and we'll get, get to that in the next slide, I guess. Maybe uh, this is a good time to switch to the other slide. Um, but, you know, we also have, all right, so here's, um, well, actually, with all of our products, um, we really designed the products to be in operational 24-7. We have hardware watchdogs, software watchdogs. The hardware is designed so that it won't stop. It will just keep running. We try to make them compact. Um, all of our products are one RU high with a half uh, width rack. Um, so there, you, know, you could put two in a one RU, one RU slot. They have both an internal power supply and an the ability to plug in an external power supply. So you could either run it just off the of DC, you can run it just off the of AC, or you can have a failover capability where you can have it plugged into the second power supply through DC. And if the AC fails, it automatically instantaneously switches to the DC. I already mentioned how you could do both uh, push or pull mode or both at the same time. You could have an encoder that's pushing to a particular, or a server or a software server sending the stream out and uh, having some of the decoders initiating the feed or having some of the feeds being initiated by the encoder. Um, we have 608 and 708 closed captions on our, our products and the new product, we can do other things like uh, SMPTE time codes. 
uh, we the configuration is just through a browser. But the nice thing there is it doesn't have to be a browser just on your local network. If you're behind a firewall, you could set up an SSH tunnel with our boxes, and you can literally get to any box um, without having to poke holes through the firewall because they could contact out uh, to a server that you could set up outside of the firewall. And using SSH tunneling, you get to the web interface of boxes that are behind firewalls. But we do build them to be really secure against hackers because we built these boxes with built-in whitelist-based firewalls. So you can put the boxes directly on the public internet, and we have a lot of security built into the boxes to prevent hacking. Okay. Very cool. So talking specifically about our newest product, the QV Codec 4K, as I mentioned, it's, it does uh, ultra high definition video. It can do that with HDR, high dynamic range for the color. So you get the beautiful colors, um, the larger color space, the larger range of um, between you know bright and, and dark of, of the colors. Um, it uses HEVC encoding. You could also encode it in the old H.264, uh, but does H.265, which is also known as HEVC, which uh, in, in many cases you can only require about half the bandwidth of HEVC for, especially if you're doing 4K video, it's much more efficient. The HDR, it has the capability of um, sending the HDR metadata, encoding that into the encoder. Uh, one of the newer techniques that we've used in these boxes of security against hackers is to disable logging in with um, with a login and password. You, if you, we have the ability that in these units so that you just can log in. Um, the only way you can get access to the box is if you have a, a certificate, like an SSH certificate installed in the box, and there's no other. Um, Logins. There's no username or password that anyone can try to guess or hack. I, mentioned I know with uh, many of our customers, we work with a, a few studios, Paramount Studios, Viacom, Nickelodeon. Uh, security is the top priority. You know, ever since Sony was hacked in Hollywood, all the studios are so paranoid about uh, eavesdropping, or th their worst fear is. Um, uh, production content before a movie is released or before a TV show is released. They're moving video around between post-production and production. If some of that leaked out, it could ruin the whole season of a show. And it, it's, uh, you know, millions of dollars are at stake, if not billions, if a movie gets hacked, right? So, so this product was designed from the ground up to be really secure. I mean, there, there is encryption in there, uh, AES-256, but in terms of anti-hacking, um, there's not even the ability to log in as root um, unless, again, you know, we can set it up that way. But by when we ship the units out, a root login is not only is lo root login disabled and, and disabling of, of logging in with a username or password, but there's no mechanism in the box for anyone to load any software that's not been authorized by QVidium. We have our own servers with software that's both been um, authenticated 
and encrypted. So nobody can take one of our units and try to fool it by putting bogus software on there mm. because our software is authenticated with certificates. It's also encrypted. So so um, the bit streams that go into the FPGAs, the, the bootloader are both encrypted and authenticated. So these units are hack-proof and they're hack-proof with a battery um, back key. In other words, if somebody tries to go into the unit and try to figure out what is the key inside the, the, the thing, they, as soon as they disconnected the battery and took you know, the, the, the board out of the box, you know, there's a small lithium uh, cell in there, um, which the, the key gets, disappears. It, it's lost right. and, and they would have no access right. to it. And there's no access, even if they were trying to poke some pins on it to, to even get into it to, to uh, look at the bit stream or any of the, the bits floating around for the key. So it's it's extremely um, secure, built again from the ground up in the lowest levels to the highest levels, <clears throat> both the security, authentication, encryption. But it is built and, and we use standard RPM packages, we have a server. So as I mentioned, you can't even put bogus <clears throat> or hacker software on there. There's a button that minim that makes it really easy to upgrade this box. If you want to upgrade the box, there's one button that says upgrade. You do it when on your time. It's not going to interrupt anything that's going on in the box. Um, so if you, if you press that one button, it goes to our server. If anything needs upgrading, it does it automatically. There's nothing to download and there's nothing you can download except what's authorized by us. Um, we have modular IO daughter cards. So the basic unit comes with um, 12 GSDI port on it and some and an SFP. So you can put a second uh, port, say optical on there. You could also put a second ethernet port um, so that it could also be optical. In fact, it could even have the ability to up to 10 Gigabit Ethernet, in addition to the regular Ethernet port, there's a USB port now for console. If you needed to, if we needed to get in there for some reason, you wanted us to help with something at a at a low level. Um, there's also another USB uh, three uh, port for adding additional disk drives or disk space if you wanted to record video and have it stored on the unit or playback video that was stored on the unit. So it has these recording and playback features in addition to being able to do multiple um, IOs. We have a quad IO card so that you can use the unit literally as four completely independent encoders and decoders. So for example, each, you can set up two or three of the ports of the 3G of the, we have a, this card has four 3G SDI ports. So you can have say one or two of them be encoders and the other um, the others be decoders. You get in any mix, any combination you want of encoders and decoders. So this is, I think, a fairly neat feature that if you want to take this to a, a stadium, you can have three cameras connected to it where it's doing three encodes of the three cameras on the field and then have a return feed from the studio on the fourth port and at very low latency. I didn't mention here, but the latency is around a tenth of a second. So um, you can you know, having having the low latency and, and the bi-directional operation, it's like having a very high quality video conferencing system. 
Um, so the, the 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 B and Cs are are input outputs. You 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 define whether it's an in or an out, a, a decode or encode via the software. It's exactly right. That's Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely, yeah. So and we do that with all the ports, even the 12G SDI port or the SFPs. Um, they're all designed to be either input or outputs. Or and so you can in fact, um, if we have one customer wants to use it for two um, 4K30. Uh, feeds where he wants, um, I think in that case, he wants them both inputs, but you can do input and output at the same time, where you use one of the SFPs, let's say, for output, uh, or you can actually have uh, an SFP with two uh, miniature B uh, SDI ports on there and uh, have, have it be bidirectional. Now, we, I mentioned about our QVideon patented ARQ. I mean, if you ask me, I think it's the best ARQ out there, but now there's a lot of other people doing ARQ. Are you, are you biased, Ron? I, I might be, I might be, but we do have the patent, okay? So, so the patent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you invented it, uh, I think you know what you're doing. <laughs> and, 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 and our patent protects it uh, in terms of being able to do things that no one else is uh, going to be able to do without infringing on Correct. the Correct, right. Other ARQs have to kind of go around unless they're licensing something from you they have to go around exactly exactly now you know but we do offer risk and we were we're members of the risk committee we have both main profile and simple profile risk i think we we're the first ones to actually have a main profile implementation of risk and demonstrate that with multiple interop demos with the risk we have SRT on there. We um, not only do we have Zixi on there. We're actually, by the way, own founder stock in Zixi, and um, so our, the founding of Zixi had a little bit to do with Qvidium um, and the fact that uh, we have to get it going. And like I said, has founder stock. We also our our units have um, we're Zen Zen Master certified and, and Zixi certified for uh, this interoperability with their server. Um, for our encoder, uh, it, we can also do MPEG Dash, RTMP, and HLS. So um, you could you could hook these things up and send streams to or from CDNs with that. Well, and when I say RTMP, I, I, you, you bring up a good things. point that that comes up a lot, Ron. You know, when when you say you know this is you know QVARQ or QVIDIUM ARQ is patented, that might scare certain people off. It's like, well, I I don't want to be boxed in and then not have any interoperability you you consider interoperability a very part important part of your your offering you know you're you're uh, doing interops at, at video services forum and at nab right what what other so 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 you can i guess the point is what do you do you turn off the arq uh and use the open source wrist instead yeah, it's a, yeah. It, there's a menu item that lets you select for the IP transport, and you can select between UDP, which is just the simplest thing, or RIST, SRT, Zixi, ARQ, RTMP, HLS. I mean, you just have a laundry list of all these things that you could select. And by the way, the RTMP, we also have RTMPS, so you could work with Facebook and have it uh, secure and encrypted. So we're we're fully interoperable. That's uh, we want to be interoperable with with everybody else's gear. If you have a want to do, you know, HEVC HD video or even just standard uh, high def video or you know anything you want, um, these these boxes are 
fully interoperable. Very good, very good. Um, yeah, I think I think is that is there one more slide or no? There's a few more. So, that's so yeah, what the this is a uh, picture's a thousand words. You can see the, these units are really well built, really great manufacturing, very solid, very robust. Uh, maybe tell us what we see here, Ron. So um, the front, you see the fan, of course, and the power light. There's not much to, to talk about on the top photo, which is the front, but the bottom photo really shows you everything. Um, and and you know we got this obviously uh, tested for CE and FCC certification. So all those little symbols on the side that you see there, it's it's uh, perfectly compliant with the latest safety standard. You know, for uh, if you're going to send these things out to Europe, we even have a special sticker if you're going to send it to uh, um, Norwegian countries or, or Scandinavian countries that that they require it. So, um, you know, it's fully compliant with both the safety and EMC standards. Um, and you can see the the power jacks on the left. So going from left to right, uh, the, there's a micro SD slot where you could store video or playback video. We have the two SAP connectors. One is uh, designed for a second Ethernet port, which could be optical. It could even go up to 10 gigabit, although right now the standard uh, configuration is for one gigabit if you plug an SFP in there. We have um, the two 12G SDI ports on here. One is through, gig through the um, SFP and the other is uh, coax. They're both bi-directional. We have a small Genlock input that um, the, it, we don't have that feature implemented just yet, but the hardware is all there. So if you needed a hardware Genlock, um, we're planning on having that down the road if, if there's demand for it. Haven't had a lot of demand yet, but it's there. There's a display port for output, another USB port for um, storing video or playing back video. And, as an alternative to the micro HD and as an alternative to a lot of flash memory inside the unit. There's this, that small console port that's uh, great for hooking up. Um, it, it just gives you access into the low level Linux console. Again, we've blocked out root. And um, so if you want to use that, um, it's even secure in the sense of, of somebody getting access to the box and, and trying to plug into the box. There's the standard Ethernet port with some indicator lights. And then we have the daughter card that sits on top of it. The daughter card we have shown here is the quad IO card, which is probably going to be the most popular one. It, and uh, are those four ports we talked about where each one of those uh, 3G SDI ports can be either input or output. If you happen to have a camera or a system that needs to do um, uh, to sample interleave to, to in, as a way of inputting 4K video, we can do that. We have some other daughter cards, uh, one for input, one for output for to sample interleave. So you can do a 4K with quad 3G ports. Well, it's uh, to me, this is, uh, you know, when you have a smaller box like this, customers will be like, oh, well, I, I really want uh, redundant power. And, and you have that. You, you, you uh, power supply number one is AC, and then you could have an external. You could feed a DC directly, or have a, uh, an AC to DC converter box to give it uh, dual redundant power. 
um, uh, to, to make this uh, a real enterprise and robust and reliable solution, correct? Right, and, and I do want to point out, as it says in the upper uh, right side of the, the lower photo, this box is made in the U.S., which has um, implications if you're going to be sending to government agencies. Yes. For example, um, there's, there's requirements for that. Um, and it also helps in terms of uh, the supply chain of being able to uh, get these things out to you. If you place an order, we try to always keep uh, some units, you know, a good number of units in stock. And so we minimize supply chain problems as well. It's very good, very good. Now, Vitovations colors, I don't know if you realize, Ron, blue and, and like different shades of blue, dark blue. Um, I like the color blue. It's, yeah, well, uh, maybe, you, you can see that. So there's there's some specs on the unit. Um, glass to glass, uh, 120 milliseconds. We were at a recent conference, a Vitrans uh, conference, showing that off. Um, I think we had the lowest latency uh, demo of encoding, decoding uh, there. We were also doing, at the same time, it was sending another unit we were sending a, a risk stream over to the interop um, it, in order to help get the really low latency and we can actually do lower than that we just haven't implemented um, some of the features because it didn't seem to be in need yet but we're able to do what's called gradual decoder refresh where instead of uh, sending and encoding a whole iframe at one big chunk it does it in, in stripes you could select either horizontal or vertical um, stripes for that and gets the latency way down on the encoding. So most of that latency actually when I specify 120 that's mostly on the decoder. The encoder latency is just a fraction of that. Well you, um, you often see in transmission a big spike up when the iframe goes and then you see other little smaller spikes. I guess, uh, what, what do you send? I-frames, B-frames, A-frames? What does what your God doing your the iframe. pictures look like? So we're doing the same thing. We have I-frames, B-frames, and P-frames, or I, P, and B, but the I-frame is broken up into these little stripes, so you don't get this big burst of packets when you do in a new I-frame because it's done in these stripes. The burstiness is you, you much spread much spread it worse. out a little bit, so you don't. So so you don't put. If your connection is a little a little, uh, if you're pushing it to the minimum, the maximum, you don't get a glitch. You don't right. want the ARQ to kick in unnecessarily, so that, that helps smooth out the transmission? Yeah, absolutely. So it does two things. It smooths out the transmission, as you said, and then it also um, gives you much lower latency. Um, so as I mentioned, we can do both 264 or HEVC. Uh, we, there's, the box does such a good job with HEVC, there's really almost no reason to use H264. It's more for backward compatibility because it's about half the bandwidth. Right. Um, this, the same box can be set up to do 422 or 420, can be used to set up for 8-bit or 10-bit. Uh, I guess I didn't put that on the slide, but it does do either. Um, for HDR, you really need 10-bit video encoding, and that's what this box can do. Um, but you could set it if you want to be backward compatible with with older things you could set it for 4208 bit encoding instead uh, if you really want good contribution quality you could set it for 42210 bit and, and throw in the hdr metadata um talk about the color spaces it could go up to direct 2020 which is for hdr and uh uh, you know, it could do HDR not just on 4K, but HDR is a 
makes a big improvement with, even with regular HD uh, video. Um, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that was. Uh, I, I, you only hear of HDR in reference to 4K. So right, you you can add HDR metadata to HD. I wasn't aware of that. Yes. Yeah, you can absolutely. Okay. And then if you have a television that supports HDR, if it drops down to to HD, the the metadata will be will be uh, put in there. Yeah. So so what happens is HDR. If you send HDR stream to a non-HDR compliant receiver, you still get the video. It just the colors look a little washed out. Um, without adding the metadata, and you could also add the metadata by hand on some on some equipment. For example, we have an HAA converter that handles uh, HDR, but um, since it didn't handle it in the metadata, there's a user interface on on it so that you can add in the metadata by hand. It, most most HDR um, compliance streams nowadays are is just a static template of, of metadata for. Um, the whole program, but there is also the ability to use dynamic um, metadata where it's different for each frame. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, are you ready for the next slide? Yeah, I am. So I think I talked about most of this. This The box can do file recording or playback. I mentioned the ports on there before, the quad 3G ports. It has a display port. If you want to monitor the output, has that ability, as we talked before, about um, using it as a quad encoder slash decoder. Each one is independent. The audio I didn't mention before, um, this box, unlike our earlier generation boxes, has eight channels of embedded audio. In other words, four stereo pairs. And um, so with the four, if you use the quad um, encoder decoder, capability, you're talking about 32 channels total of audio in, in this one box. Uh, talk about well, the low I, I've learned, I'm sure you've learned this too, even though we, we're in the video business, you can never have enough audio. The audio, you know, four to one, eight to one, so so eight channels of audio for each uh, uh, video, That that's impressive, That that's good. People will, people will use it. And, and uh, another feature that we spent a lot of time with is, is processing the ancillary data in the SDI. So it can handle closed captions, which is something people aren't doing much with uh, 4K yet, but it has that ability in there. But we also have the ability to um, process simply time codes, which, which could be really useful if you want to do a synchronization amongst multiple encoders and decoders. We think that could be really useful for that or putting in ad insertion markers yeah that um um for uh for distribution that can be important uh um, um th there's a simpty standard around that i don't remember the simpty number but that that came up with a customer not too long ago needing the ad insertion markers or the metadata for that yeah. so so just to be um really clear on that the some of that is not uh, implemented yet. It has the ability, if we had a customer request for it, it's something we would put a lot of time into and couldn't, it wouldn't take too much time to get done. Okay, okay. All right, let me see. Um, I think I mentioned we touched about, on security before. We touched on security here. Here it is in bullet points. Uh, secure against malware. The, 
um, it, it basically locks out any foreign software from being able to be downloaded into the box, disable root access, disable a password a login with username and password. It has the ability to encrypt the streams, whitelist-based firewall built into the box, and um, SSL support. Um, or if you're doing web access, it's like doing HTTPS, which encrypts the uh, web access. Very cool, very cool. So I talked about some of this, the one-touch update. There's one button you press. If it needs to be updated, it does it on your schedule. Um, and it does whatever it needs to do automatically. And, and that's the only way of getting uh, updates in there. You can't get a hackerware software in there. Um, it's done using standard RPM, um, which is a technology that's been in Linux systems for a long time now. And it's, it's, I like the fact it's secure. It gives you up, it gives you, um, keeps track of, of the versioning of, of different features so that you're not getting a, a, the wrong you know, update. The ability to do the tunneling through firewalls. This is equivalent to what Zixie talks about with their Zen master certification, which we have, but we also have our own mechanism in addition that, that allows you to get access to the box uh, by tunneling through fire, to the firewall where the box is, if you set up your own SSH server. Um, I talked about, again, the, the putting in the public and private keys and, and the uh, encrypted communications, SSH access. And uh, we do have, QVidium does have a network management system. So if you buy a lot of these boxes, you can have a server <clears throat> that you could set up that could um, monitor multiple boxes all at, with one glance, see which so, ones are up down. So let me ask you, Ron, so when you say you tunnel through the firewall, what, what are you doing? You're coming in and out of port 80 or something? You're, how, how do you, you're, you're using one of the ports that's already open to, 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 to communicate? So it's, it's actually doing SSH, okay? So, so the communication isn't even done through port 80 anymore. It's going through the SSH port which you could configure to be, you know, SSH is normally port 22, but you could set it to be something else to be a little more secure. You could set it to say 2022, and um, it could contact an SSH tunneling server. So the box, basically you set up the box with the IP address or the DNS name of the server you're going to use. It's the box, the Qvidium codec box is sitting behind the firewall in some location. It's going to send packets out upstream through um, the internet over to the server. Now, most firewalls will let packets out. Um, they just block packets from coming in. Now, there are some firewalls that will block both directions. And you know, obviously, you're going to have to work with the IT, IT department if that's the case. I've seen that in some hospitals. But most places, if, if they allow outbound packets, you plop the box down. You don't even have to configure an IP address on the box. You can configure, pre-configure the box with just for DNS, or I'm sorry, for DHCP access. So that, and, and you could pre-configure the box with the um, IP address of the tunneling server. So you can take a box that, you know, has been, sort of pre-configured like that for DHCP and with the tunneling turned on, send it out to a client, 
they can plug it in and they don't have to do anything. You can, they, well, and, you and can then you then you go into the cloud and then uh, find it through the SS and you'll find it automatically through the SSH server. Right, right. It automatically is going to set up its IP address configuration with the DHCP stuff, and it automatically contacts the server. You know, you know what port you've assigned to it on the server. Um, it's encrypted. You can go into it. No one else can. And again, um, and you have access to that to that unit, um, even though it's sitting behind a firewall, and wow. um, you haven't had to do anything. That's very cool. That's very cool. Oh boy. Um, so I talked about um, all of these uh, connectors on the box, I think. Um, instead of having the old fashioned RS 232 console port, it's kind of useful um, if you have a troubleshooting section, session uh, to have that console port um, has the ability. With the SFPs, gives you a lot more flexibility. You can do dual redundancy with the Ethernet because of the SFPs on there and the gigabit uh, port. Um, so yeah. So what what are you doing with redundancy and bonding? What what is uh, what what exactly does that mean? What what do you what are you implementing? Well, there, there? there is that capability. I mean, if if you had let's say two different Ethernet link, links um, going out two different modems, um, and you had sort of limited bandwidth on each modem, you could bond two links together. That's sort of what bonding is about. Um, we haven't had too many people needing that, but the box is certainly capable of that if you need to. Okay. It, it, we, it would be um, some optional um, software we'd have to add to the box, but it's, uh, you know, bonding is, is uh, it's something we've done in the past. For example, we have the technology in our older box. We just <clears throat> haven't had the many people needing to do that, not with higher speed links. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, this is the water card you mentioned. Yep, and uh, in the future, we are going to consider if somebody needs, for example, a qualm modulator built into the box. We've had a few people thinking that that might be a, a useful feature. Um, because we have an FPGA that the thing is built around, um, there's a lot of flexibility. For example, right now it's doing HEBC and, and H.264 encoding. Because it's built around an um, uh, FPGA, we can actually add something like uh, Simply 2110, which is a sort of a light compression of raw Ethernet and a raw SDI around. So, so, so that, you, that, would, that would be something you'd implement with the daughter board? Uh, it, well, the, actually, it's probably the wrong slide to talk about. We, we could do it with or without the daughter board. It would be something okay. you'd actually put into the FPGA. Okay. Okay. And the QAM modulator, you'd put that on the encoder, what to drive like a cable TV system? Yeah, yeah. You could put put it on. That would be something you put on a daughter card, so that you would have an RF interface on the daughter card, um, so that it would, you know, when you encoded the video, it'd go directly out as RF. Okay. Right. So in conclusion, we we try to keep. You know, right now we have stock, and we are. Our business models to always have stock of product. Um, if you buy the box, um, you know, it's going to be tech support included in the purchase. It comes with one year warranty. All the software, firmware, and up updates are free. 
There is a rack mount kit available. As I mentioned, you can put two units in a 1RU slot or one unit in a 1RU slot. As we have those rack mount um, options available. And um, <clears throat> we're a small company. We're always open to feedback and suggestions. Well, yes, we have innovation too. We love talking to our customers. Some of our greatest inventions um, um, come from our customers' ideas. So your 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 invention of ARQ came from the telemedicine, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger demanded that you make it work. You'll make it work now. Now it will work. So uh, um, thank you so much, uh, Ron. I, I hope. Um, our technical glitch with the questions didn't impede anyone's uh, questions. Um, I'm sorry, I actually meant to put um, a contact slide for Vitovation in here. I forgot to do that, I'm sorry. Uh, if you have any questions, you can call Vitovation at 949-777-5435. Uh, you can email sales at vidovation.com. Uh, that's V-I-D-O-V-A-T-I-O-N. People have a a tendency to want to put a knee in vid videovation. It's vid ovation. Uh, we'd love to hear your your questions, your feedback, your your comments. Uh, you can text me at 516-551-3201 if you have any questions. Uh, looks like that's it, Ron. Um, that was a good 90 minutes of knowledge you laid on us there. Um, um, I, I think I'm going to need some brain food for lunch today to uh -huh. get those neurons going and keep, keep absorb all that knowledge. Um, thank you so much. And uh, if anyone's interested in this technology, uh, please reach out to Vidovation. Visit our website at vidovation.com, V-I-D-O-V-A-T-I-O-N.com, or give us a call at 949-777-5435. Thank you, everyone. Be safe out there. Be healthy. We hope to see you soon at some point. I, hopefully, we'll have a trade show at some point in the future, Ron. But until then, we'll, we'll work virtually. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for participating today. We appreciate your, your expertise, and thank you for sharing. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Ron. Have a good rest of your day. Take okay, care. You too. Okay.